Thank you, Adam. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be with you again. Uh, have your Bibles back open at Genesis 28. It'd be really helpful if you have that in front of you as we work through this passage and see what it, God is saying to us through his word this morning. Well, we're living in distressing times, <coughs> distressing times, aren't we? Uh, there is so much going on that concerns us. I reckon there are at least four global crises happening all at the same time. Uh, we've got the public health crisis that's being caused by coronavirus. And then we've got the knock-on economic crisis caused by the virus. Uh, and then uh, added to that in, in recent times, a social and political crisis has erupted uh, around this issue of, of racism. And then there's another crisis, the, the environmental crisis that uh, was so much in the news last year, but it has been overshadowed by more recent events. Now, each one of us will be affected in different ways by these big global crises. Uh, for some of us, they might not be a big issue at all. But all of us, different times in our lives, we all have personal crises, personal issues that we have to deal with. <clears throat> and none of those things will make the news. Uh, world leaders won't be discussing the problems that go on in our lives. <clears throat> but those things matter to us. Those crises have a big effect on our own well-being and those around us. And the question I want to think about this morning is, what will help us in a time of crisis? What do we need when we go through crisis that will help us to get through and not only to survive, but, but to, to flourish even through a time of crisis? Well, I think we have an answer for us in Genesis 28, in that reading that, that Adam read for us. Uh, in that passage, Jacob is going through a time of crisis. And we see that what Jacob needed and what we need in a time of crisis is an encounter with God. We need to meet the living God. Now, we might not think that, that is what we need above everything else. That might not be what we're seeking when we go through crisis. It wasn't what Jacob was seeking in his crisis. But as we're going to see, that is what will help us more than anything else. Before we see what happens in this encounter between God and Jacob, we need to look at the context of this passage. We need to see what, what is going on and why this is a moment of crisis for Jacob. Now on the map there, hopefully you'll see, on, on the screen you'll see a map. And this is a map of Jacob's journey. So he started out at the start of Genesis 28 on a journey north, northeast uh, from Bathsheba in the south. And he goes via Bethel, which we'll see in a moment is a very significant place or becomes a, a significant place for Jacob. And he's heading towards Haran. Uh, he's heading uh, towards the area where uh, Abraham, his grandfather's family, lived. And he's going to get a wife from that area, uh, the area of, of, of Padan Aram. Now, commentators have worked out that Jacob, at this point in his life, as he makes this journey and he leaves home, that he's 77 years old. 
But as far as we're aware, from what we read in Genesis, he's never left home before. So just leaving home for the first time, that creates some anxieties, that creates some worries. And the, the reason why he's leaving home is not a good one. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that Jacob deceived his brother Esau. He schemed his way to get Esau's birthright and Esau's blessing. And as a result, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. So Jacob is on the run. There's danger behind him in the form of his vengeful brother Esau. But there's also danger around him here in the open country. And he doesn't know it yet, but there's also danger ahead of him. I said that Jacob is on his way to find a wife. And he's going to find a wife from his, his mother Rebecca's family, which is part of, of Abraham's family. And he's going to marry actually two of his uncle Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. But he's going to pay a heavy price for those marriages. He's going to have a 20 year servitude to his uncle. He doesn't know that that's going to happen yet, but there is danger ahead of him as well. He is surrounded by danger at this moment, behind him, around him and ahead of him. So it's a distressing time for Jacob. But aside from that personal crisis for Jacob, this moment also marks a crisis for the promises of God and the plans of God that revolved around this very special family that started with Abraham. And then that the promises were passed on to Isaac, Abraham's son and Jacob's father, and then to Jacob himself. So Jacob is the heir of Abraham's promises, the promise of becoming a great people and the promise of a place for that people, a place where they could experience God's blessing, a place of their own, their very own land. And there's also the promise of blessing, that they'll be a blessed people, but also that through this people, through this family, the whole earth, all the nations and all the families of earth would be blessed. So those promises are all under threat at the moment. Not only does Jacob not have a wife and a family at this point, when actually his brother Esau has three wives already, he's about to leave the promised land. You, you, you saw that on the map, that, that Jacob is heading north out of the land of promise, out of the land of Canaan. It feels like a, a big setback in the promises of God. In fact, he's going back to one of the places that Abraham left to enter into the promised land to take hold of God's blessings. So it seems like God's plans and purposes are taking a, a backward step here. So it's a, a personal crisis for Jacob, but also a, a, a crisis as well for the promises of God. And this is all caused by Jacob's foolishness, by Jacob's sin and his scheming. But let's see how God steps into this crisis and what he does to help Jacob in this distressing time. The first thing 
that we see that the Lord does is he reveals himself to Jacob. The Lord reveals himself. Jacob is maybe a couple of days into his journey at this point, and there are no B&Bs, there are no travel lodges or premier inns or anywhere that he can rest on the way. So he's got to sleep out in the open country under the stars with a rock as his pillow. And then something extraordinary happens in the night. And not only is, able, is Jacob able to sleep uh, with a pillow as his rock, but as he sleeps, the heavens are opened. And Jacob has this amazing revelation. And he sees three things. The first thing he sees is a ladder, a stairway that is reaching from earth up to heaven. And then he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder, this stairway. And then he sees the Lord and the Lord is stood above this stairway. Now, what does this revelation all mean? Well, I think it is telling us at least two things. Firstly, it's telling us that God cares. That God is concerned about what is going on on earth. And he is concerned about what is happening in Jacob's life. God is not removed from this moment of crisis. God is standing there uh, looking down upon Jacob, looking down upon his distress. He sees what Jacob's going through. And, and God is in this situation. He enters into Jacob's crisis. He does the same for us. And he's doing the same in, in the worldwide crises that are going on around us at the moment. God cares and he is present. But secondly, it shows us that we can't get to God ourselves. And we can't make our way up to God to uh, grasp hold of, of the things that, that we might uh, want from him. Now, we need God to come down to us. That is the lesson of the stairway. Uh, on the stairway, there are the angels going up and down. And, and angels, uh, one of their jobs was, was to be ministers to God's people, to help God's people. Uh, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, the Lord's angels are ministering spirits that he sends out to serve those who will inherit salvation. God is sending help to Jacob in the form of these angels, but Jacob cannot make his way to God. He needs God to reveal himself to him and, and in a way to come down to him through this stairway and through the, the ministry of the angels. Jacob needed God to take the initiative. Now, human beings, I've always had the idea, really since the beginning, that, that we can somehow ascend to heaven and that we could get to God ourselves. At the time when Jacob was alive and in the area of the world that he's about to journey towards, uh, the area of Mesopotamia, uh, there were these uh, religious uh, monuments, these structures called ziggurats. And there should be a picture of one on the screen. Uh, these were, were huge structures in, in a kind of a pyramid shape. 
And as you can see, on the outside of these structures was a stairway. And at the top of the stairway, there was some kind of shrine or, or altar or, or a temple, a place where those worshippers could go and meet with their God. They could offer sacrifices, they could uh, offer prayers, they, they could worship their God. But the emphasis was on the human being making their way up to God. In, in fact, uh, it, it's widely acknowledged that when human beings back in Genesis 11 were building the Tower of Babel that this might have been the kind of thing that they were building a, a tower to get to God a stairway to God but the Lord is making very clear here in this revelation to Jacob in Genesis 28 that it's not human beings who ascend up to God but it is God who makes the way to come to us he has to descend to us. We can't get up to him. And that's what God always had planned to do. That's what he did right back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. He came down in the cool of the day and he walked with Adam and Eve. And one day, many years after Jacob, God would come down. And he would come down in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He would come down to earth to show us that he cares, to provide us with the, the comfort and the help that we needed in the form of his son. Jesus himself actually quotes from Genesis 28 in John's gospel, John chapter one. Uh, and the, the words that will be on the screen here. That Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending. He's using words right from Genesis 28. But Jesus isn't talking about a stairway here. He's not talking about a ladder. He's talking about himself. The angels will be ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus is saying that. I am the stairway. I am the ladder between heaven and earth. I am the way that you get to God. I am the way that God will come down to earth. Jesus is the link between God and human beings. And through Jesus, God has revealed himself to us. God has come down to meet us through his son. Earlier in John chapter one, Jesus says this, or rather this is said about Jesus. John one verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known, has revealed him. We don't need to guess about who God is. We need to try and get to God ourselves because God has come down to us and revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want an encounter with God, if you want to meet with God, you have to go through Jesus. You don't go through your own efforts, your own ideas. There's only one way to God. But what this also means is that if you're 
you're already in Christ, if you're already trusting Jesus, then God has already revealed himself to you. That you can encounter him right now, this very day, through Jesus Christ, his son. You, you don't need to wait for some extraordinary dream or a vision. If you haven't had a dream like Jacob had or a vision like Jacob, then you're not missing out. You can know God fully right now through his son, through the Lord Jesus Christ and only through Jesus. Now, in Hebrews chapter one, it says in the, the past that God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. One of the ways that God spoke in the past was through dreams and through visions. But in these last days, the last days that we are now in, the last days that have existed uh, right from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. God has spoken to us by his son. And this leads us on to our next point about the way that God reveals himself. You see, the Lord is not a silent God. He doesn't just appear to Jacob in this dream and just stand there without saying anything. No, our God, the God of the Bible, is a God who speaks and he reveals himself by speaking. So the Lord not only reveals himself, but he speaks himself. He speaks directly to Jacob, just as he speaks directly to us today through Jesus. Now, what does the Lord say to Jacob? Well, the first thing that we might expect Jacob to say to so the, the Lord to say to Jacob is, well, what are you doing? Jacob, you have messed up. These promises, this birthright, these blessings, they were yours. I chose you. Why did you have to go and mess things up? Why did you have to scheme? Why did you have to deceive? Now your brother's after you and now you are having to leave the promised land. We might expect a rebuke from the Lord, but that isn't what God does. Rather, God speaks words of comfort and reassurance. He gives Jacob exactly what he needs through his grace and his compassion. He doesn't kick Jacob when he's down, but he wants to build Jacob up. So the Lord starts by repeating the promises that he's given in the past, the promises that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac. And this is a really significant moment for Jacob, because this is the first time that Jacob has heard the Lord speaking directly to him. Just before this episode, um, at the start of Genesis 28, we, we hear Isaac speaking to Jacob and Isaac is blessing Jacob. And Isaac is repeating to Jacob that the, the blessings and the promises that God had given to Isaac and, and to Abraham before him but, but these are second-hand blessings and second-hand promises They're given not by God directly to Jacob but but through Isaac but now in this dream Jacob is hearing the Lord speaking to him 
directly. He's hearing God's voice for the first time. And he's been given these promises firsthand. You know, this shows us just how vital it is to have a first-hand experience of God. Not to experience God through other people, through a, a, a parent or through a friend or a spouse, and not through a, a, a pastor or a, a, some kind of another church leader or a celebrity preacher. No, we need to experience God ourselves. We need to know him personally. We need to hear him speaking to us. And as Jacob hears God speaking personally to him, the first thing that God talks to him about is the promise of a land. And out of all the promises that are under threat, this is uh, the, the most pressing threat. Because remember, Jacob is on his way out of the promised land. So what's the first thing that God says to him? I am going to give you this land, the land on which you're sleeping right now. It's going to be yours. Yes, you might be leaving it at the moment. You might not know when you're going to come back to this land. But I'm promising it to you. It is yours. It belongs to you and to your descendants. It's your land. And then there's a promise of people. Jacob's off to, to find a wife. And he doesn't have a family right now, but God is promising him that his descendants will be like the dust of the earth. His descendants will spread out to all four corners of the planet. He's going to be fruitful. He's going to multiply. And then there's the promise of blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. If Jacob had any doubt that God's promises were going to come true for him, then God reaffirms his promises. How precious must it have been for Jacob to hear the Lord speaking to him personally, the Lord speaking himself to Jacob, just like he'd done to Abraham and to Isaac. But, you know, Jacob's situation doesn't change. He's had the promises reaffirmed. He's heard God speaking to him directly. But he's still there in the open country. He's still got danger behind him and around him and ahead of him. So what Jacob also needs is reassurance. He needs the assurance that, that God is going to do what he's promised to do. And we see that three assurances are given by the Lord to Jacob, and that each one of these begins with a P. Uh, I, I took these from a commentator on this passage. Firstly, God assures Jacob of his presence. I am with you. And then Jacob is assured of God's protection. I will keep you. I will watch over you. Just like a shepherd watches over and keeps their sheep, the Lord will protect and keep Jacob. And then the Lord reassures Jacob of his promise. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. 
Jacob, you can trust what I say. You can trust my promises. You know, when we go through moments of crisis, we need reassuring, don't we? We need to know that we can trust God. We need to know that God will come good on his promises. That however big the crisis, however distressing the time that we're going through, that we can rely on him. And, you know, we have that assurance today in Christ. Because all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. And all of God's assurances are given in Christ. Where do we receive that assurance? Well, we receive it through the word of Christ. Through the scriptures that Debbie was talking about earlier. As we hear the Lord speaking to us directly himself through his word, the Bible. In the Bible, we hear Jesus himself reassuring us. He reassures us of his presence. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. As a promise for his disciples who were there with him at that time. But it's a promise for us as well. Jesus will never leave his people. We can be assured of his presence. And we can also be assured of his protection. In John 10, 28, Jesus says that I am the shepherd. And as your shepherd, nobody is going to snatch you out of my hands. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to protect you. And you can trust me to do that. And we're assured of Jesus' promise. In John 14, verse 3, Jesus says to his troubled disciples who are facing the prospect of Jesus leaving them to go out of this world and back to his father through the cross. Jesus says to them, you know, I am going to come back to you. I might go, but it's just going to be for a little while. And when I come back, I'm going to take you to be with me. So you can be where I am. I'm preparing a place for you. It's the equivalent, I think, of Jacob being promised that you're going to come back to the land and you're going to possess the land. We are going to be with Jesus. We're going to possess all of Jesus' blessings and all of his promises in the new creation, in the home that he is going to provide for us, in the home that he is preparing for us right now. So do you know the promises of Christ? Do you know the assurances of Christ for yourself? You know, we cannot get these things secondhand. We need to encounter him ourselves. You need to hear him speaking directly to you through his word. And you, know, you can have that experience. You can have that encounter today, right now. So don't settle for a secondhand experience of God. He wants you to encounter him. He wants you to know him. He's already made a way for you to get to him. Not by you ascending to him through your own efforts, but by him descending to you. Coming down to you 
in the person of Jesus. He has revealed himself to you already. The question is, will you receive him? And if you have received him, what next? Well, the answer is we worship him. And Jacob shows us that our worship isn't just about singing. Now, that's a good job because if, if and when we are able to meet back together again, we've heard from the government that we can't sing, but we can still worship because worship is more than singing. It's about our response to God, to who God is and who he's revealed himself to be. And this response requires all that we are for all of life. Jacob's worship is seen in the way that he fears God. He responds to God in the right way by fearing him. Notice what he says at the end. He says, how awesome is this place? And he was afraid. He didn't get up and and start uh, uh, singing and, and dancing. He was afraid. He was awestruck. Because he realized that he was in the presence of the living God. He worshipped through his fear. And he also wants to remember what has happened. So he sets up a memorial stone. And he anoints it with oil, the very stone that he, he was lying on as the dream was given to him. And this is how he marks this place where God has revealed himself. He, he wants to remember the place where God revealed himself. And Jacob is going to come back to this place 20 years later. He's going to build an altar at that place and worship God again at this place, Bethel, the house of God. This place was special for Jacob. It was a place he wanted to remember. But for us, we don't need to go back to a special place to remember how God has revealed himself to us. Because God hasn't come to us through a place, but through a person. You see, Jesus is our Bethel. Jesus is the true house of God. And again, that's good news during this time of, of lockdown because we, we don't need a physical meeting place to encounter God. We encounter God through Christ. He is the house of God in which we meet God, in which we see his revelation, in which we hear him speaking. Jesus is the place where God has revealed himself in his fullness, in bodily form. Jesus is the gate of heaven. It's through him that we encounter and experience God. So our worship must be centred on him. We remember him. We live all of our lives in him. And finally, Jesus, uh, Jacob's worship involved a vow. Jacob makes a vow to God. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, if he'll give me food to eat, and clothes to wear, so that I return to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob here is simply uh, 
saying to God, look, if if you make good on your promises, as you have said that you will, then you will be my God and I will follow you. Uh, I will not have any other gods. I'm going to worship you alone. It's a vow of commitment to God. And it's a vow to, to give all that he has to God. And that, that uh, giving to God is represented in the tenth of his possessions. But, but it's, it's more than that. It, it is acknowledging God as the one that, that he will be living his life before, the one that he will live his life uh, for, for all of his days. That is true worship. That's how we respond to an encounter with God. We offer our lives as living sacrifices. We give all that we are to God. That is our reasonable act of worship. That is true spiritual worship. Now, Jacob is still very early on in his walk with God. He still doesn't really understand a lot of things. And as he goes on in his journey, he'll grow and he'll see more of who God is. He'll trust him more. But despite encountering God, Jacob's life will not get easier. In fact, his life is about to get even harder. You see, encountering God isn't going to solve all your problems. Encountering God isn't going to magically transform you into a different person or into a different place. You'll still be the same person, the same you, and you'll still be in the same place with all the, the issues and all the, the problems around you. But with one big difference, you will have encountered and experienced God for yourself. You would have seen him and heard him through Jesus, through his word. That's what Jacob needed more than anything else in his crisis. That is what you and I need more than anything else. We need to encounter God in our fear, in our distress, in all the uncertainties of life. We need a fresh encounter with God. We need a new vision of Jesus. If you've had that encounter before, if you already know God, then you need to keep coming back to him. We need to see his glory and his beauty in the face of Christ. We, we need that vision of, of God to strengthen us, to drive away our fears. We need to be reassured. And reminded as we read God's word of his presence, of his protection, and of his promises. And then to worship him in response.